everyone, welcome to Flywheel Pod, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, you've come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave, here with Capital K. We're here to help you harness the power of the flywheel. And today we had a very special podcast, but this one was particularly special because we had two stablecoin OGs, people really pushing the space forward and on their respective paths. And it was definitely uh, somewhat of a bromance between uh, Sam Kazemian and Amin, uh, both you know founders of respective Frax and Rai. Um, and I just really enjoyed the conversation, them going back and forth. Um, you know, both characters that live on chain see a lot of what's going on and are really pushing these stablecoin experiments forward. Um, Kit, what, what did you think? Like my main takeaway was that Amin and Sam are both clearly on very distinct paths and they're very clear about it. You know, we asked Amin what does success look like? And that was completely different than what we heard from Sam. However, both of them are still thinking of ways to be positive sum together along these two very different paths. I thought that was super cool to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Like they're both stable coins, but they couldn't be more different as stable coins, different goals and different ways of achieving that goals. And like, because they're on different paths, there are actually a lot of synergies that we get into in the episode. Yeah, especially with um, like the governance, the way Ride does governance is like so different from the way Frax does it. So I think there's a lot of things they can learn from each other mm-hmm. as Ride scales even bigger and, and as Frax tries to decentralize more. It's a good balance. Yeah. And it's not like one, it, yeah, it's not like one should be more like the other. It's like, it's good that they're different. It's good we have these different experiments going on and we'll get all into it in the episode. So don't forget to subscribe. Uh, we have over 650 subscribers on YouTube. Don't forget to hit that bell notification so you get that steady stream of content. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at FlywheelPod. Telegram, our group, at FlywheelPod. You can follow me on Twitter, at DeFiDave22. You can follow me at 0xCapitalK. And let's get the flywheel spinning. All right, this is Flywheel Pod. We're getting these very special stablecoin episodes started. We have Amin, the founder of Rai Reflexor. He also founded Spangchain and, of course, uh, pioneered Moloch Dao. Uh, he is a governance junkie, I must say. And uh, we have Sam Kazemian back with us once again, the founder of Frax and also founder of Everpedia. So two vets uh, in the crypto space. And, of course, we have my host, Capital K, here. And we're going to get this started. So, you know, me and Capital K were talking about this, and there's been a lot of talk as always, about stablecoins and specifically around governance and specifically around um, if like stablecoins were to scale in the future, like what do they look like? Like how, you know, there's been a lot of debate about like centralized to decentralized, like can they actually scale? Like what trade-offs need to be made? So, and a lot of it revolves around the stablecoin trilemma. So to start this, um, I would like to ask, uh, I mean, Sam, each of you, like um, what, how do you define the stablecoin trilemma and what do you guys think are the most important parts of, def- of trying to solve it in order to scale to a trillions of dollars in circulation for your reflective stablecoins. Uh, could someone else start? I don't remember the exact trilemma. Yeah, so let me let me get going on it. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think the trilemma kind of got a colloquial uh, thing that is it goes off of Vitalik's uh, blockchain scaling trilemma for anyone that's like, uh, not familiar with it, this, the trilemma originally started with like Vitalik by saying like, okay, 
to scale a blockchain itself, like the consensus and actually the throughput, like you basically uh, have to give up either, you know, decentralization uh, for like throughput or, um, you know, throughput for uh, more decentralization. And it was originally meant for like blockchain uh, scaling debates, but it's kind of interesting that it took a uh, stable coin uh, scaling basically. Um, and to explain it to people who aren't familiar, the idea is basically uh, that in order to really scale a stablecoin, there's three things that are really important, right? The peg and how wobbly it is around a dollar or whatever unit. Uh, the actual collateral, whether the collateral is seizable uh, or has any custodial risk, that's another point of the trilemma uh, triangle. And, and um, basically the, the last point is how, how scalable and elastic the, the money supply is. Can you create this stable coin basically on demand and easily as people uh, demand more of this, this stable coin unit. And the idea behind this, this scaling trilemma for stable coins is that uh, if you want it to be scalable, um, basically printing stable coins on demand, uh, you either have to essentially be like uh, algorithmic and, and decentralized, which means they're really bad at the peg side of this tri triangle, right? Because it's a, it's a three-point triangle, so you give up one side for the other two. If you uh, want to be extremely good at the peg, right? Like always a dollar, never breaking your peg and scalable, you're basically a fiat coin, right? You just hold uh, a dollar in a custodial bank account, but then you give up the decentralization uh, aspect of it because almost all of your collateral is uh, custodial risk and, and uh, you know, blacklistable and, and etc. And the last uh, point is like, if you are like, uh, LUSD or, or something that's entirely, you know, decentralized collateral. So it's, it's totally decentralized, uh, non-custodial. And uh, the other two sides of the triangle, you're going to have to give up one of them. Either your peg becomes wobbly, right? Like if, if your t target is a dollar, uh, you start wobbling uh, a couple percent uh, around a dollar, which basically makes it kind of not as useful for people that want to hold the the dollar stable coin because you don't want to buy when it's like a dollar and two and then when you want to sell the stable coin it's 98 cents uh you'd rather just you know probably take the the custodial risk of like usdc or something unless you're you know doing something really off the grid so the idea behind all of this stable coin uh trilemma which is like kind of a um reference to Vitalik's original blockchain scaling trilemma is that stablecoins seem to have this trilemma as well, but, it, but in, in terms of different uh, situations, right? The peg, the collateral, and the elasticity or scalability of the, the money supply. Those are the three uh, main points. And obviously I have my own opinions, uh, really uh, excited to talk with one of the biggest brains in, in the industry, Amin, and see what his own views are about this as both of a you know fellow stablecoin project founder but also just being in the game since the very very early days so hopefully that that was a good uh background on on the on the stablecoin trial nice thank you for that yeah yeah well so like how do each of you like go about and like design when making the design choices uh for your stablecoin and having this stablecoin trilemma framework in mind like what what do you choose to prioritize and why? Um, 
Well, for Rye, it was an experiment in trying to make it as decentralized as possible. So we obviously made sacrifices in capital efficiency as well as uh, stability uh, or, you know, the normal perception of stability or sort of the benchmark everyone else has, which is the dollar. Um, so Rye is a fork of MakerDAO's DAI, but uh, it's different because it's not pegged to one USD. We started it at 3.14 USD, which is sort of an arbitrary value. And the neat thing about Rye is that it allows itself to have like positive and negative uh, rates, but the rate is the rate of change of the peg. And so it plays with its own peg in order to stabilize its supply and demand. So if the price is up for a bit, then it'll set a negative rate so that it incentivizes people to sell it. Um, the other thing about Rye is that it's only backed by ETH. So uh, it's not quite as capital efficient as something that would make $1 with $1, uh, of course. Um, the advantage of Rye is that, you know, the c collateral isn't, you know, some isn't in somebody else's custody, so it's not as easily censorable. It's just ETH, uh, and it can be more decentralized um, in that for that reason too. Um, there's less moving parts. There's less governance attack surface area, so that you know, try to make it more decentralized. The uh, other stable coins, in our view, are sort of peacetime stable coins. Uh, like decentralization is one of those things that doesn't matter until it does, and then it matters a lot. Uh, really suddenly. Uh, and so if you only design and make the sacrifice, uh, you know, away from decentralization, then you'll just one day be really surprised. Uh, and so the interesting conversation that's unfolding in the MakerDAO forums and Discord now is like them being surprised about the USDC potential <laughs> risk, you know, of censorship uh, as a collateral in their whole smart contract. You know, only $75,000 worth or so, maybe hundred grand of USDC in the tornado smart contracts were frozen, but it was the first time that, you know, some like the, the USDC in a contract had been sort of lump sum bulk frozen, uh, irrespective of who's it belonged to, even like European people who weren't subject to the sanctions. Um, so mostly what's happening now is us adjusting to this perceived risk uh, and wondering if maybe we should have a little bit more decentralization. Uh, so, yeah, Sam. So, like, with the whole tornado cast situation, like, what was kind of Frax's view on it, and like, how would you respond to with like concerns? Because you guys have USDC and derivatives of USDC, USDC as collateral. Yeah. So I actually agree a lot with what uh, Amin has been saying even before the tornado cast situation and afterwards. So. To give some background, Frax right now is the fifth largest stablecoin um, and the second largest decentralized stablecoin after DAI. There's about 1.5 billion uh, Frax in circulation. Um, it's it's highly used. It's bridged to multiple you know L2s or Altel ones, um, and Frax does have USDC uh, exposure risk, right? So so that the two largest decentralized stablecoins, uh, DAI and Frax, we have. You know, to, to put it candidly, uh, quite outsized uh, USDC risk. Now, I don't think it really matters to say whether, you know, DAI has more or FRAX has more, but I, I think um, actually DAI has about actually like 80% or 75% uh, of its supply, last time I checked, is actually 
USDC. If you go to makerburn.com, which actually does a really good job of combining all of the um, the PSMs uh, and then adding them all up, you'll actually see, if you go to makerburn.com, you'll see 82% of all the 7 billion supply of DAI is from quote, quote, stable collateral, which, which is just the, the term for various uh, PSM uh, related to so like GUSD, it's a Gemini uh, exchange fiat coin, right? USDC, which is circles uh, issued stable. I think they also use some, some Paxos, if I remember correctly, um, USDP or something like that. But in any case, uh, you can see that uh, the stablecoin trilemma kind of holds true here. It's like if you want to be able to increase your money supply and have an extremely tight peg, so at least to the dollar, um, like Frax and like Daibas, I think Frax has one of the tightest pegs to, uh, to USDC, USDT, and Dai, where we're literally, I think, about 20 to 25% of Curve's uh, total TVL, at least through our Frax PP and Frax 3CRB uh, combined. We, we actually, as a protocol, subsidize, think about half or more of the size of the three pool itself. So all of the three pool trades going through uh, Curve Part of the reason they're so efficient and, and extremely uh, deep with, with very little slippage is like the Frax 3CRV pool essentially kind of subsidizes uh, a lot of that because basically like $500 million worth of those LP tokens are paired with Frax. And that obviously means underneath, underlying those $500 million of LP tokens, there's DAI, USDC, USDT uh, mix that, that people trade against. So I think the, the issue is real, right? And, and I think one of the things I respect with uh, Amin so much is he's kind of become the prophet, so to speak, or like the, the kind of the anointed leader of like bringing uh, to the community the, the kind of the cannery in the coal mine, so to speak, of, hey, um, we have to have this conversation, we have to have it now. And if it wasn't for someone like a meme going to the maker community and then the maker forums if it was just someone without a name or like without the the reputation i don't think it would be taken as seriously right like you need people that are extremely well known in the community and respected like like a mean um kind of like uh chris black uh and and like those kinds of people that like people see them talking all the time right they know where they stand and so it's a difficult problem. It's a very difficult problem. And uh, obviously, I actually, my own uh, view and, and the long game, so to speak, that Frax is playing is that we have our answer to this is, is we call it actually kind of like the duopoly, which is like the dual stable coin uh, view is that Frax is a dollar peg stable coin. And then, as you guys probably know, and, and listeners here know, we have the FPI, or the Frax Price Index, which is the, the world's first on-chain stablecoin pegged to CPI, or essentially a basket of consumer goods, real-world items that people care about, like food, energy, medical care, etc., etc. And this peg is unique because no one, no one else has, has pegged towards this. And um, the, the difference here is we have two stable coins. So essentially one free floating, right, to, to a basket of consumer items, whatever those happen to be in terms of price and, and weights of the, the basket. And then a hardcore dollar unit, right, which is basically for the current unit of account of the entire world. And our view is that uh, 
as the FPI slowly grows, as, as it hopefully becomes a contender, maybe the contender for uh, the unit of account of, of the, the digital economy, kind of like Rye uh, could become a, a, as well, Frax will continue to grow in the, in the dollar stablecoin market, right? And this is, this is going to probably seem to, uh, in my opinion at least, be in, in the future, in the next six months or, or, or 12 months in crypto, going to end up becoming a really, really uh, interesting idea because you're already starting to see places like, you know, Rune in, in, in the MakerDAO forum saying we should plan for, for DAI to depeg from the dollar, right? Which was a huge thing that like a lot of people were like talking about. Um, we should, you know, Rune was saying we should have DAI be free floating um, at, at some point in the future. Well, that's great. Um, but, but the issue is like it would break a lot of things like every single place that, that DAI is integrated, like the, these curve pools, these every place is these vaults, these uh, lending systems that people have uh, debt denominated and, and DAI and, and things like that. So the, the way that basically done it here is that we've started with a second stable coin and having it grow in parallel with a very unique uh, worldview. The FPI is, is, is basically our answer to like the, the free floating question. It's basically our Rye experimentation, uh, but basically without touching the Frax dollar peg stablecoin. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to ask, and first of all, you do look like a prophet right now <laughs> coming down from the mountaintop, letting everybody know that like the time is now, you know, to like really think about and care about decentralization and like actually take practical action towards it. So I want to like hear in your own words from like your observations of like what, how has Maker evolved and like over the past few years to like get to this point? Like there was that whole Twitter thread about like, the, you know, what happened with Maker, like how they went from like RWA is like a month, two months ago to now like Rune talking about DPEG and how did you become the leader of the quote unquote decentralist party and like what is your whole view on the whole makers conversation happening now in the forums? There's two things I'd like to clear up. Uh, the mm -hmm. first thing is as the leader of the decentralist party, this is an interesting development. Uh, it was sort of a surprise to me because <laughs> in their forum and discord, I'm talking for no one but myself. Uh, as a maker user holder, uh, you know, die holder, CDP user, etc. Right. Um, and the other thing is that I have been saying that they should be careful about the USDC for a while. Uh, but it was Rune who initiated this conversation this time around after he sort of came to the same conclusion that on a long enough timeline, it, you know, it would behoove die to be able to also uh, depeg. Uh, from the dollar if they needed to, which started this whole conversation about how they might do it and, you know, what are the parameters and, you know, what are the risks that they're they're trying to do this in preparation for and, and so on. Uh, so, yeah, uh, those, those things are, are uh, <laughs> fun. But, uh, yeah, so I, th I think Frax has a really good model, too, uh, of trying to run this experiment uh, and and be able to do it at the same time. The FPI is, is very important as an experiment just to be able to have a coin that represents a CPI and see how people feel about it, interact with it. It's a little bit harder to do something like a CPI debt token because, you know, it, it's probably going to go up more than the debt, you know, or the, like than the dollar <laughs> debt. So you might prefer the dollar debt. Um, and with things like Rye, even though we're trying to 
ungovern it and uh, you know automate it as much as we can. Like we also are doing it to understand where the limits of automation are. And one like even with Rye, even though we've automated the monetary policy, so to speak, by having the rate setting be automated by the you know any market price gap, uh, we're still using the U.S. dollar as a reference asset, and so it's still somewhat depends on the fluctuations of the dollar and the esoteric movements of the dollar. And so for something like, you know, a, a, a the FPI, you, you need the governance part. And so I'm glad that Frax is uh, exploring that and bringing that to DeFi for everybody else to use as well. Nice. And Sam, I was going to ask, you know, seeing how, you know, maker governance has evolved over the past few years and you have these three different parties, you know, you have like the central, not, not, well, like people that work at DAI and the VCs like work in the DAO, you have like the decentralist party and then the idealists, like Frax is still very, er, like compared to um, DAI and maker, it's, Frax is still very early in its governance and it hasn't developed those parties yet. You kind of see like the beginnings of it, like maybe over issues like the collateral ratio, maybe over issues of decentralization, but you know, how do you, th what like advice would you give to the Frax community as it grows and like how, like where would you like to see parties? Would you like to like go more the ungovernance route? Like, have you thought about this at all? Like what's your take? Yeah, I, I think that basically the, the ungovernance stuff is, is, is brilliant and, and really uh, smart, especially because I think Rye and LUSD kind of take that, that position. Um, difference is like i i would personally try to kind of straddle a, a middle ground here in the sense that you know you might think as an organization gets bigger there are political parties or factions in, in all of them but like for example we don't see that outwardly at like the ethereum foundation for example right there's no like uh different uh implementations of like geth and and like you know, the, the beacon chain, like, you know, Lighthouse, Deku, and all these things that are, like, politically charged. They're just different implementations from, like, a technical perspective. Now, you might say that there's no politics because the monetary policy of ETH is, is pretty static, right? Everyone agrees on, on like, the, the history of the, the value uh, change, the, the actual supply and, and all these things. But the, the, the way that I like to think about, kind of, the Frax economy and the ecosystem is if we can make it more, like... Ethereum foundation development, right? Like where there's a there's an overarching goal, and the goal is basically to create a uh, new stable currency that is potentially the most useful in the global digital cryptocurrency economy. Then we are all working towards that specific goal, right? The same way with Ethereum, they're trying to build the kind of global settlement, kind of data availability layer for generalized computation, basically, right? And so Frax's goal is basically to build the best and hopefully the most useful uh, new age stable currencies settled on, on digital ledgers, basically Ethereum L1 uh, as, as the base layer. And so I think keeping that in mind, now with that said, uh, Rune is, is brilliant. I've, I've started talking to him recently and, and also reading all of his, his posts. Um, he's a he's a really brilliant visionary in the sense that like you know I I don't think anyone uh, really else in DeFi is, is coming up with these really long term kind of you know he calls them end game roadmaps or like the, the the kind of visions to execute towards the take 
you know, one, two, three years and, and things like that. A lot of people are just more uh, practical, you know, what's the work that needs to get done, you know, this week in, in the DAO or, or something like that. So I think a lot of people should be looking toward what, what Rune is saying because um, I think, and I, obviously Amin can uh, correct this, but I think Amin and Rune probably see very eye to eye on kind of the decentralization uh, dangers uh, like like for, for Maker in terms of being motivated to make DAI more decentralized. I think they probably would would be pretty aligned on, on some of the points on, on Rune's endgame roadmap. Yeah, one of the interesting yeah. things about Maker governance is that like it's always sort of had these factions in place like because it started out as an ETH backed stablecoin you know like I liked it when yeah, I, like my first experience with Dai was like trying to find you know bank accounts and getting shut down for spank chain in like 2018 and using it to escape the crash the ETH crash in the bear market right so like Dai was a necessity for us you know um, like I remember sending $20 of ETH for pizza money in like 2016 when there were no stable coins uh, and one, you know, the pizza money was one ETH. <laughs> um, it's like, <laughs> like at that time, Dai was the best thing that had ever happened. Uh, we, we had stability. Um, and the original design uh, from the original architect, Nikolai, uh, was actually meant to not be pegged to $1. It was only after like Rune sort of decided to do a, the more pragmatic, more useful short-term thing, which was uh, make it pegged to a dollar, uh, that th that's how it was. But it actually had this target rate feedback mechanism uh, that allowed uh, Dai to set its own, like the rate of change of its peg uh, from the beginning. Um, and so these political factions have sort of like played out over the last couple of years. Uh, and it's been really fun to watch the Discord and the forum now because it's like Nikolai has like six years of I told you so's. Uh, to come back and throw into these forum discussions from you know, <laughs> before when he was trying to get Dai to not be pegged to a dollar and then from when he was trying to make it not all backed by USDC uh, and then he got himself and all of his friends fired. Uh, <laughs> and like, you know, in, in 2020 uh, during the Black Thursday crash, um, that's when Dai, the price spiked up, it was above the peg and that's when they introduced the peg stability module and they decided to allow USDC collateral so that they could suppress the price and stabilize it. And like, that's really when for me, I was like, okay, you know, we need to make something else. Uh, you know, Ryan, like I want the original maker back. I want my, you know, uh, ETH only stable coin, ETH Mac, you know, the ETH maxi version of this that doesn't have too much governance and isn't deciding too many things. So that's what inspired us to, to make Rye. And now, two years later, I'm really glad we did because we get to go back into these conversations and we have a little bit of like research. You, you know, and, uh, we, we did the, ran the experiment in prod. Uh, and so now we get to help uh, be part of these discussions where if we hadn't done this, I'd probably want to kill myself because the discussions would be like, I don't know, what if we impose negative rates on people, but nobody's ever done that before. Uh, it's scary. Maybe we shouldn't do it, you know? Uh, and instead it's like, well, look, you know, Rai did it for a year and a half in production and like we roughly know how it's going to go so we can evaluate it. And maybe we 
you know, maybe it's a viable path for us. I think that's like a really important role for Rye to be able to play, uh, even though it is, you know, 100 something times smaller than <laughs> Frax and market cap and so forth. <laughs> Yeah, well, no. I, think, I think like, you know, to, to kind of piggyback on that, I think that, you know, closer to kind of FPI, right? Like I think FPI's market cap is, I think like 50 or 60 something million. And I think Rise is 20 something or, or, or whatever it comes and goes because it's elastic, right? And, and so those are more um, comparable, right? They're in literally the same order of magnitude. They're as useful in, in this uh, way. And I think... To be honest, when I first originally started, you know, pitching the FPI stablecoin, I actually called it kind of a, a, the next generation of stablecoins, like this kind of uh, kind of Gen three of, of stablecoins, in the sense that the next kind of conversations, which seems to be everywhere around us, right, die floating again, or like you know, Rye having this uh, really interesting peg, or the FPI being the first CPI peg stablecoin. Um, it's about can you create stable currency that's completely untethered from national currencies, particularly the, the U.S. dollar, right, in terms of unit of account. And that might not be useful as, or as useful at first, but you see it growing. Uh, and, you know, we see Rye growing in a different scale, obviously, because it's not dollar peg. We see FBI growing in a different scale because uh, it's not dollar peg. But I think just like with everything where it's uh, it's time has yet to come, but you can, you know, kind of see it in the horizon. There's, you know, a 10, 50x uh, growth coming if, if the time for it becomes right. And, and it seems like that's where we're headed, you know, in the coming months. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, like, you know, between FPI and Rye, these are alternatives to the dollar denominated system. So, like, do you guys see like a post-dollar world at like some point in the future, or like maybe the dollar doesn't go away completely, but like you have other currencies like they're at the same level in a multipolar fashion? Um, do you see that happening? And if so, like how do you see it happening? Um, so I, th I I might be getting this wrong. I think it was Chile. I read this in a blog post by J.P. Koenig, and they had this really interesting economic development where like after a year or maybe a couple of years of like 500% inflation, the people just started using the CPI as the unit of account for their long-term contracts. Uh, so you would have like your spot price for, you know, bananas on the street would go for whatever the currency was in. But if you made a rent contract, you would actually denominate your rent contract in units of the CPI. Uh, and so it would be like your rent is like a hundred CPIs, you know, and then like uh, that that amount can change every month depending on like you know how the CPI changes. Like at the end of a year, you might be paying ten percent more in the currency units uh, if the CPI went up ten percent in the currency units, right? Uh, and so that keeps your rent sort of stable relative to everything else which is a, a novel development. And it, it's really uh, kind of a scam that we don't do everything that way already uh, because it forces everybody to speculate uh, with their long-term contracts uh, in terms of how like the currency will fluctuate. 
uh, and that's really annoying to do. Uh, but it's really, it's kind of uh, like the 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 bankers kind of benefit from this, and like that uh, from the us all having to do the speculation because they get like more seniorage out of it. Um, but you know, and so uh, it would take a sufficiently large shock for m people to be motivated enough to like coordinate around doing something like that. So I'm optimistic that if we build it uh, and the guys who currently run it uh, do everything poorly, uh, <laughs> at least we'll be able to protect ourselves uh, and have, you know, better tools because, uh, you know, having the FPI is like one of the first steps for something like that. Um, and, you know, you can even build automated systems that use like, uh, C you know, some sort of CPI unit as a reference uh, itself. So uh, a lot of the stuff we're doing is, is foundational and a lot of this uh, involves thinking about things that we take for granted differently. Uh, it's a pretty like weird thing to denominate a long-term contract, not in your currency, but in like the index price of the consumer goods, you know, but like, it's also a really weird thing when your currency inflates by 500% in a year. So like, <laughs> you know, once yeah. one of those things happens, then it's less weird to start <laughs> denominating in CPI units. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just to, just to like uh, piggyback on that, I, I think for example, this, like Amin said, this wasn't possible uh, or extremely difficult to do in, even if you wanted to, to denominate long-term contracts in uh, something like CPI, um, because, for example, the closest thing to FPI maybe in, in TradFi financial you know, assets is, is TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. Some people might say, oh, well, you know, you guys just created TIPS or something. It's actually not true because FPI is basically a perpetual TIPS. So in, in, uh, in traditional finance, you can buy these government uh, treasuries that essentially pay out more if there's more inflation. Uh, but again, they all uh, have an expiration date. They all trade on bond markets and they, you have to roll them over. Like if, you're, if your tips basically uh, expire and mature, then you have to buy new tips. You, you can't really have, like Amin was saying, a long-term contract like rent or something to like this specific tips contract that, that doesn't create a shelling point for like a unit of account. Uh, what you need is essentially uh, a token or, or some kind of unit that says, hey, this thing always is actually uh, following the, the CPI. And uh, to be honest, the closest thing to that is the dollar plus or minus the, the inflation rate is, is the, you know, the amount that the peg is off essentially, right? And so as it means that the worse the people running it are, are getting, the more discussion about uh, putting new people in charge of running it or, or something or creating a pr completely brand new framework for how to run it uh, using you know 21st century technology. So you do need something like the FPI or like Rye and, and stuff that there really is not a, a traditional financial analog for uh, what it is. You know, people like to find similarities to it and, and things like that, but um, they're just similarities. They're not exactly uh, identical. And so the, these things are actually truly new financial primitives. So that, that's what's really exciting about it. Right. So, yeah, Kit, no, I, I, um, how are you I, feeling I just, over there? Dude, I've just been silent, just kind of absorbing, you know, from the, <laughs> the, the prophet of mean. 
and also from from Sam Cave, right? <laughs> kind of the sharing, like from me, I'm like, hey, from extreme circumstances comes like extreme solutions that needs to kind of meet that, right? 500% inflation, that means we need to price things against an index. And then from Sam, how saying these are important experimentations and new people need to be put in charge and kind of govern this leads me to think like if the size of Rye and the size of FPI today is still quote kind of like manageable, right? But once it really balloons 10x or even 100x or even where we really see this thing going, how does the governance kind of upgrade and changes itself? Like, you know, I, I'm curious to hear how um, Sam K would take governance from the FPI perspective, because ideally it should be separate from FRAPT. Yeah, so there's a, there's a second token called the FPI share or the FPIS token that is, is a linked governance token. So it's actually not entirely separate from FRAPT shares. It's almost like it's, it's almost like a, a, a junior tranche of, of like a governance token. I don't want to say junior tranche of a debt, but it's basically it has the governance rights first of, of governing FPI, but it also has to uh, stabilize the peg in, in terms of, so it gets the governance upside uh, and, and value cool, but also the downside. But some of the, uh, you know, the, the cash flow and, and the underlying value also gets accumulated to FXS. Um, so the, it's a really unique structural design for, for two governance tokens. And so Frax has uh, kind of FXS, which is the, I like to actually just call it the, the layer one token of the Frax economy, right? Like the, the underlying, the original uh, token. So if you hold uh, Frax shares or FXS governance tokens, you, it's, it's like holding uh, ETH, you, you grow in value according to the sum total of kind of the economy on Ethereum, right? All of the, the, the people and the projects and transactions paying for gas, which slowly burns Ethereum and return value to uh, ETH holders, right? Uh, FXS is similar to that. But for example, if you think uh, Uniswap, for example, has a much faster growth uh, trajectory or horizon in the next, you know, 12 months, rather than the summation of the economy on Ethereum, then you would hold uh, more uni tokens rather than ETH tokens, right? And so that's how we kind of uh, designed the FPIS stable, uh, the governance token. Uh, the FPIS governance token is basically like the, you know, ERC20 token, so to speak, of, of an L1 blockchain, right? And it governs the FPI stablecoin. Um, and they're linked in the sense that there's a mechanism where value accrues back to uh, FXS. So it's a very unique thing. You could take a look at the docs and, and uh, I don't think there's ever really been a design like this because I think people just release new tokens, right? They just release new projects and stuff and we never want to do this, right? We never want to just continue to release tokens that are completely like uncorrelated uh, or unrelated to, to each other. We're building kind of a frax uh, full stack economy and the kind of, like I said, the, the view that we take is the L1 token is the FXS token. Uh, it's the original governance token of the economy. So they have to be linked the same way that, you know, a blockchain is, is linked economically to their uh, underlying projects that make up its sum total of the economy. Now, if we're talking about specific, um, how these things are governed, I think the, the, the biggest expert here in terms of actual governance uh, stuff or ungovernance would, would be a mean because I, I personally think there always has to be 
some minimal form of uh, you know human input to a, to a minimum at least when trying to create uh, stable units. Um, but the the trick and the art here is how do you keep it at the absolute minimum, such as uh, voting on oracles or you know in the FPI case voting on uh, the indices of the of the items in in the basket. Uh, if, if you ever, you know, remove the, the government CPI oracle, right? Um, but that's, that's a great question, right? And, and I think as the community of FPIS holders and FXS holders evolves, uh, they will basically have to figure that out uh, altogether. Got it. How about you, I mean, yes. how do you feel about uh, Fraxis kind of dual governance kind of structure? I think it's a good model. Uh, I think it's we've we've thought about similar ways of expanding, uh, you know, to make more Rye-like systems. Uh, <clears throat> thought of similar ways to expand, make more Rye-like systems, and also keep the tokens correlated. Um, with with something like Rye, you want to have a backstop token to take on bad debt should it come up. I think Frax does something similar. So there is like a good reason to have a new token for the new system so that there's a risk uh, share of the, you know some backstop. Um, so I think I would be pretty scared if Rye was a lot bigger. Uh, I think you know we want it to grow, but it's good that these experiments have time to play out while the ecosystem is small. Uh, the worst case scenario is you end up like Terra and you pump your experiment to $50 billion before you know how it works. Uh, that's a really bad case. I don't think anyone should do that. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, their, and their governance didn't exactly help. Uh, the governance was, you know, like a couple people decided how they spend their money and when. So they didn't have any sort of algorithmic, like, peg enforcement. Uh, that would have really helped them in a downturn. It also creates like really devastating information asymmetries. Like if you're in the room with them and you know that they're out of money, like you should turn around and short that thing to zero. Uh, you know, the second you leave the room, uh, and like that scenario is why you want these things to be algorithmic and automated on chain, so that like you're you know you, you you can spend your reserves. And I think this is one of the things that Frax does really well with the AMOs is that like, yeah, you might need to have governance over like how you spend your treasury, but like at least the on-chain operations for the large part should be automated. And then the governance actions are like authorizing new automated actions, right? Uh, and so for Rye, we think about that the same type of way is that we wanna automate the like core processes and then only have governance, you know, really control the things that need it. Um, the like the controller, for example, the parameters are still governed because we're experimenting with them. We aren't sure uh, if you know the exact PI parameters are final, uh, having only run it for eighteen months. Uh, you know, there's small changes we might want to make. Um, it'll probably be some time after running it in prod that we're like, we think that this is, you know, like pretty sound. Now, the advantage of doing it. The way we're doing it is we don't have to be like MakerDAO where we like have a meeting every time we want to set a rate update, you know, ever. Uh, they're like doing, you know, a, a controller via hand crank, basically. Uh, and so we, we don't have to do that. Uh, instead, uh, 
yeah, we, we ungovern that stuff. And the stuff that has to stay governed so far is things like oracles, uh, like Sam was saying as well. So like right now, Rai relies on the Chainlink Oracle. It's a point of centralization. Yeah, we made some straight, you know, shortcut trade-offs. But uh, like one day, maybe, I don't know, Chainlink decides to not service Rai anymore. Maybe Rai gets sanctioned. I, you know, who knows? But uh, we should have a backup. And so, you know, we want to point to some decentralized oracles like a Uniswap TWAP for ETHUSD or Rai ETH. Um, well, what happens if liquidity migrates away from those liquidity pools over the next three, five years? Well, now you have to change that thing too. So now you have to, you know, oracles are one of those things that you can't really ungovern over a long term, but you also want to make sure that you really secure because if somebody was able to hijack your oracles, they can not only crush your whole ecosystem, but anything that touches it. So governance raises the stakes a lot. Um, you know, every governance system that protects the treasury has to be able to address the type of proposal that is, uh, I would like, to, it's like vote yes to give uh, all the people who voted yes on this, the share of the money in the treasury, you know, <laughs> so like, <laughs> yeah, uh, we, I think we still have a lot to learn on the governance side. So we're approaching it cautiously. Yeah, you mentioned, um, you know, failed stablecoin experiments. And I think the thing about stablecoins is like when they fail, they fail pretty dramatically. And ever since, you know, the whole start of the algo stablecoin boom from December, November, December 2020 until now, like you've had different stablecoins fail, mostly in similar ways, like but just at bigger scales, like you had ESD, you had Iron, and then you had Luna, and then you had Faye to an extent fail in a different way. Um, and so like, what, what's your guys' take on like, why like each of them failed? I'm um, Sam, I know you have your thoughts about Faye, which you've been very public about. And, um, you know, how, how does like each one of your stable coins, like, what do you, what do each one of your stable coins learn from their failures, whether it's like, you know, Luna or Faye or like whoever else? Well, I think, uh, my, my thoughts about Faye, for example, is, is more about the wind down, which is, uh, which is, is really crazy. I'm still hoping for like a good outcome there because it just seems so, uh, crazy that they would wind it down that way. But it, that's more of a, that's more of like a DAO governance thing than like a specific stablecoin uh, governance. Um, but hopefully that, that goes well. Um, but overall, I think, uh, each large stablecoin, uh, I think people forget that Frax, it stands for fractional stablecoin, right? And like, like essentially our whole premise when we started writing the original kind of like white paper back in 2019 and then we released it in <clears throat> late 2020 was that algorithmic stablecoins, just a stablecoin that's backed by mainly another token that's its own governance token or it's basically it's linked to its own uh, cash flows in the future does not work. That's why we Frax came up with this thing where it's like you need collateral at least uh, at least some amount, and and you need uh, you know the collateral needs to be hard assets over collateralized loans or things that are totally uh, not the same as as its own governance token, whether they're you know some fiat coins, ETH or, or whatever. And so far, that seems to be like a correct assumption. This was our original assumption. I think. 
after Terra, everyone now realizes it's basically uh, a very obvious thing um, if it wasn't already, which to us it was uh, at all times. But, um, but yeah, and then I think what Rai and FPI are showing is that there is a viability for these new generation of stablecoins with, with different units of account. And I think as the landscape changes, more and more people will be talking about it. Like Rai has built a very, very good brand and kind of shelling point among kind of, uh, you know, decentralization. I don't want to say maximalist because it's kind of a, like a kind of a pejorative, but like more like real like cypherpunk oriented people. And it's, it's really cool to see because even though it's kind of small in market cap, like FPI, it has a very, very large outsized uh, group of, of proponents. And like, that's, that's how you build a really big following, right? Like back when Bitcoin was like $2, right? There were people that believed in it in so much and continue to build around it that it, it is where it is today. And so if we can get a group of people in crypto that are really, really passionate ideologically about this new generation of stablecoins, non uh, nation state pegged assets and, and how to actually run them, govern them and how to make them useful. Uh, that's going to be one of the biggest sectors in, in crypto in the, in the next two to three years, Rye, FPI, etc. Yeah. Um, hmm. So t taking it back to like the failed experiments and stuff. Uh, so for Faye, regarding their wind down, I, I kind of agree with you that it was a little bit mm, unorthodox. Uh, typically when you wind down, you pay out your debt holders and make them whole. And then whoever like has the equity gets whatever's left. Uh, and that don't seem to have really followed that in this by uh, leaving out the victims of the fuse hack. Um, it seemed like that was a debt that they agreed to take on and that they should uh, take it on. <clears throat> um, so, uh, Faye, yeah, and then Faye, the, the, it's, it, the, I mean, they decided to wind down the whole thing. Um, it's kind of hard to back a dollar stable coin with ETH treasury. Uh, and then they also had a lot of like governance stuff around their, like, they basically had to do treasury operations. Uh, and it's like a lot easier to do things like AMOs than treasury operations. So I think that's a better model. Um, and the, the thing that I think, you know, when everybody took out their pitchforks in response to the UST blow up, the uh, algo stable, you know, they, they all brought out their pitchforks for the algo stables. <laughs> like, you know, Sam and I are out there like with our pitchforks out, like mad at people misusing the word algo stable, like, <laughs> yeah. we're, like trying to fight the battle for the algo stable word. But now we, it, it was futile, like we lost, right? Like algo stable is a bad word. Yeah. <laughs> we, have to, I, we have to find a like, word. Basically the two worst words in crypto right now are, are uh, cross chain bridge and algo stable. Those right. are the words. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, yeah. So, Go ahead. Yeah, the, the, it's like, uh, you know, the, the algo part wasn't the bad part, uh, right? Like, <laughs> the the thing that, you know, I take offense to is, like, Rai has an algo, like, it, you know, has a controller. The controller is an algo. It sets the rate algorithmically. Uh, but it's not prone to the same type of catastrophic collapse risk that, you know, UST was because uh, it was collateralized, right? And, like, Frax, you know, is fractionally reserved, but, like, 
there's a difference between what Frax does uh, to mint Frax and what Luna does like, <laughs> to mint UST. Like, so when you minted UST, you literally took some Luna and you lit it on fire. You didn't, like, put it in the reserve. <laughs> you just burned it, you know? Uh, there wasn't, like, a pile of Luna sitting there that was <laughs> ready to be, uh, yeah. So then with the, the Frax, uh, yeah, it's, it's like, 80%, you know, or, or so it fluctuates. But the, the thing that I like about Frax is that it plays with the edge, like, scientifically, right? It's, like, we will, we will test the market's willingness for us to be uncollateralized or under-collateralized to whatever degree, and then we will, you know, edge towards that and then if the market willingness for us to be under collateralized changes we will increase the collateral level and that seems like the right way to approach the problem right like if you're going to do take on this this risk like you might as well uh at least back you know backstop it as much as you can and, and take it responsibly so um i'm i'm glad that uh, you know, the, the f failures happen to some extent, like we all learn from it. If we blew up, then the next generation would learn from us. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is, I guess this is what we call progress. Yeah. And um, Flywheel Pod was created as a direct response, uh, in a sense, to what happened with Luna and UST, because we saw, you know, Ago Stables like taken for a ride in a negative light and before the lunar <laughs> collapse like it was crazy it was like you saw it in like the wall street journal and bloomberg like luna hyped up so much and then it had such a dramatic downfall fall it was like the equivalent of a nuclear bomb going off but on chain and you just saw it in real time like everyone like what looking at like the coin gecko or on twitter like oh it's up it's down blah 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 and like when it like you know when it went down and like when it like you know just collapsed completely and we saw the conversation it was just like you know we we have to like take the uh Algo stablecoin mantle. I mean, Vitalik tried to like change it to to automated stablecoins, but that hasn't really taken off yet. We'll we'll see. But it seems like Algo stable so like sticky in people's minds. But who knows? Maybe the term Algo stable can be reclaimed like the term DAO was. And I mean, you had a huge part in that with Moloch DAO. So do you see that possibly happening, like a redemption arc for Algo staples, like there was for DAOs? Yeah. For anyone who didn't get the reference, uh, after the DAO blew up. Uh, the Ethereum community was consumed by what we called PTS DAO, uh, which which was where you know people were like, ah, oh, don't make a DAO. DAOs are bad. Like, why would you do that? Like, didn't you see what happened to the last guys who tried that? It blew up. It was bad for everybody. There's a whole Ethereum classic now because of this, you know, uh, and and so we were like, no, like we think DAOs are the best thing ever. We want to make DAOs. Uh, we believe in coordination potential and unlocking it for humanity. So we're going to do this thing. And you're, we're right. You'll believe us. Uh, you know, three or four years later, there's like 10 million DAOs. <laughs> <laughs> so like, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm like this, uh, the, the negative activity around stable coins just makes me like unreasonably bullish about stable coins because it means that like a bunch of other smart people who should be paying attention to this aren't for whatever reason right now <laughs> uh I, I i think absolutely the the mental you know the stable coins will, will come back it'll be controlled stable or like uh you know progressively under collateralized stable or <laughs> like like some 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 other name some other euphemism for the for the categorical work and then because the the value is there right like people people will realize it you know once once you uh wash out essentially you know the ust had the, the uh intermittent value to a small group of people but uh now that that value has been consumed uh the other 
stable coins have more opportunity to grow and thrive. And so uh, the next generation will more accurately reflect the real value created by the stable coins that work. And that'll give all stable coins a better name. Yeah, and, and it's what, like stable coins are the only thing that, that like, you just want to say, like, they're the only thing that every single person understands, even not on, on the blockchain or anything. Like, my, my mom understands, like, oh, uh, oh, cryptocurrency that's uh, stable or it's a dollar. Oh, okay, well, then how does your, you know, project or your little fancy thing make money? Oh, so you, you know, it, it gets lended just like, just like the bank, just like my mortgage, just like, you know, the, the collateral pays interest. Like, every single person understands the value, the, the cash flow, how it actually makes money, and then also the, the actual financialization. Is, it means that the tech is new and the innovations and the mechanism but I think it's unequivocally clear that stablecoins are one of the, the the largest you know product market fit categories of, of crypto uh, in general. Like that that's already been settled. I think it was on the the Bankless podcast when they had me that I said like I just I see crypto as three uh, trillion dollar categories, and one of them is Bitcoin, the other one's Ethereum, and the last one is uh, stablecoins, and I still believe that. So I, I just wanted to ask, um, this was for Sam, and then we'll jump to the meet. What does the comeback story look like for stable coins, regardless of algo or, or not? Like, what is that new narrative that we need? Is it Brax just ballooning into, you know, a 50 billion pound gorilla? Or is, or is it Ride really picking up traction? Like, like, what does that look like? Let's start with Sam. Uh, what was your question? The the comeback story of, of yes. stable coins? Is that what it is? Uh, well, I, I actually think uh, the stable coins are kind of on a uh, revenge tour in terms of uh, market cap, right? If you look at the dominant <laughs> stable coins, I, I get that and I totally agree right now, kind of the stable coin brand and, and things like that that took like a pretty big beating because of the, the Terra stuff. But I always say, a bear market is a bull market for stable coins, which basically means is that the, the price of assets goes down in, in dollars, right? What does that mean? That means dollars have become more uh, powerful in, in terms of purchasing power. And it might seem kind of a little bit weird if you think about it, because we were just in a highly inflationary uh, time and it's still uh, quite inflationary. But the, the actual constrictive monetary policy and rising rates has just hammered crypto, right? I mean, you you know, this isn't even up for debate. Look at the crypto prices, right? Bitcoin, you know, uh, around 20K, hanging kind of uh, around there, ETH at like 1500, down from 4900, right? And so uh, it's a stablecoin strong environment, believe it or not. And so I don't actually think uh, in terms of, you know, revenge tours, they, they, it's, they are having their revenge tour. It's basically right now. The, the main thing is which ones will out innovate others that that's kind of the main thing and and the uh the way that i try to think about it and i think if one uh you know attribute of the the frax community and project if, if people remember us for and is is positive sum and the way that i try to think about everything is how can we innovate so that uh it's positive sum for for everyone so things like our Frax BP stuff and, and Curve, like if you pair with Frax BP, we will give you uh, extra incentives that are sustainable. It's proportional to your demand uh, size and TVL, how much demand you create for Frax BP LP tokens. 
uh, things like Fraxlen, which were able to actually lend against you know different types of assets and, and also different types of vaults allowing like leverage for different things like different projects and stuff like that. The, the view that I have is if we're going to innovate, the innovation should increase the size of, of the pie for, for everyone, for all stable coins, for all projects, rather than, oh, how do we out innovate and, and like take uh, market cap from other projects? We've never thought of things ever like that. I think our, um, our actions have shown it. Uh, sometimes we get burned for actions, unfortunately. Like it seems like with the, the Faye thing, like we're one of the largest lenders of Fuse and, and Rari because we thought. Uh, you know, it was really cool to uh, kind of try this this innovative kind of system, and it, you know, it, it didn't work out, and now it's kind of a really unfortunate uh, way to unwind if if it ends up being uh, unwound in that way. But our idea has always been, and our actions have always shown, everything we do is about uh, how do we increase the the size of the pie for everyone. Uh, maybe us the most, but that that's still uh, bringing everyone up with us rather than how do we, you know, suck out, you know, the, the, the market cap of this token and into ours or, you know, something like that. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um, definitely feel the positive sum vibes. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, the rates going up, it's like the the U.S. Treasuries are kind of stealing the show, right? As a stablecoin, though, it's like yeah. uh, the the rates on bonds and stuff are higher than like the lending rates on stablecoins now. So, like, I would expect to see some stablecoin maybe outflow uh, until either we get like Treasury-backed stablecoins that pay yields, uh, or until you know Frax gets a, an account with the Fed uh, and they let you guys <laughs> have a direct swap line. And <laughs> um, regarding like how do you get to like a trillion or something it's like you know i have a couple answers right one is like eth goes up a lot right like uh this is not the end of the story like you know global crypto adoption happens like el salvador is not the last country to buy bitcoin ever in human history uh you know layer twos work other countries adopt them uh countries stake eth eth goes to valhalla and uh, the economic bandwidth of Ethereum suddenly grows <laughs> to allow for more stablecoin, uh, you know, that uh, uh, TVL backed by ETH. ETH maxis right. are salivating right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the ETH maxi version. Well, I, ta- yeah. I talked to the Frax maxi version. Is like you get the direct swap line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> which one of these is weirder? <laughs> you, know? yeah. you, you make your choice. Why not um, both? Why not both? Why not both? <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so I, I think things like that. I, and then generally, I see the tech as getting somewhat commodified. Uh, and the way to explain that is that like uh, every you know, here's just like a thing, you know, I say uh, it's like uh, the, the cost of deploying a sophisticated smart contract system on Ethereum drops by like 10 times every year, uh, give or take, you know. And like what that looks like is that like MakerDAO took a team of elite specialists, like, you know, 10 people like over a year and a half to do in like five years ago. Right. And then like Rye was a fork of that was made with like a small team of like four people that would, you know, worked for like <clears throat> six, eight months uh, and then was able to deploy it. And like in a couple of years, it's going to be like push button. Right. So a lot of the. You know, I'm, I'm going to be able to like spin out my whole layer two ecosystem and drop every single DeFi project into it and like, you know, have an entire economy in a box. And then it's going to be 
you know, which economies did we just do glorified R&D for, right? Like, is this game economies? Are these, like, countries that we're bringing onto the blockchain? Uh, so, I, you know, uh, USDC being the early exploration of, like, you know, and, and DAI as the separate sort of, uh, <clears throat> like, pillars of, of, of stablecoin exploration, like, we could see a lot more fiats, a lot of other countries issuing their fiats on the chain, a lot of other issuers of blockchain fiat, you know, besides USDC. Um, all these, but like Sam said, all these things go up together. Like, even the ETH going up version of the world, like, benefits the on-chain stablecoin version of the world. No, no, I, I, I do, I do want to double tap on that. Like, um, would you think the market cap of ETH is practically the ceiling for total market cap of stable coins, given the, you know, the security concerns and et cetera. Like, is, is there any linkage between the two? I already know Sam's answer, but. <laughs> uh, I think there's some linkage, but not like one-to-one -one strong linkage. Uh, like if it was like a thousand times more stable coins than like ETH market cap, that might be a little awkward. And it also has to do with like how much volume you're actually processing. Cause like, you could have a thousand times the TVL, but if it never moves, then like it doesn't actually matter. Uh, but if you have a lot of volume uh, in the tra transactions, then it matters more. Um, I would I would be concerned if there was like more than maybe ten or a hundred times the stablecoin TVL than ETH TVL. Well, I I think that so. Uh, and I, I've actually talked to Dave about this uh, at length, and I think that for decentralized stablecoins, they're they're basically their limit, right? On that on that stablecoin trilemma is proportional, like I mean, said is like loosely proportional to the size of the ETH economy, right? Like you you can't have LUSD, for example, which is like a totally decentralized ETH over collateralized like thing. You can't have uh, 20 billion uh, LUSD supply if the ETH TVL is like 100 billion or something like that. That simply doesn't make any sense because the demand for leverage of ETH, since that's the only way that that LUSD is generated, is not a fifth of the entire economy, right? A fifth of the entire on-chain economy is not just people demanding leverage for their ETH, right? So that that's never possible. There's like a very uh, uh, cap, lower cap than, than that, right? And so, for example, if, if ETH economy was uh, a trillion on-chain, right? If the on-chain economic activity and TVL and everything was a trillion, you could uh, assume that, for example, LUSD could have a market cap of, you know, 30 billion perhaps or something like that, right? Like 3% 3, 3 of the uh, on-chain economy could be leveraged for ETH through LUSD, a fairly uh, Lindy effect, you know, good product that's decentralized and, and uh, a, a stablecoin, right? Um, but you can't have it be like 20% that there's just a huge cap there, right? Now, if you look at something like DAI or like Frax or even fiat coins, um, they don't have this cap, right? Because for, for good or for bad, they trade in this like exposure to some custodial assets for dying fracks it's fiat coins for fiat coins it's literally their their cash right off chain where they can literally just scale up no matter how much the the actual size of the on-chain economy is they can scale up to whatever the demand for cash is not 
uh, whatever the demand for the underlying generation mechanism of, of the cash, right? So it's a, it's a very different thing. And so the size of the on-chain economy does cap the, the size of fully decentralized stablecoins. That's, that's my personal view. And I think that's always kind of been the case. That's why when, for example, we go through a bear market, even though the, the purchasing power you know, of stablecoins increases, the market cap nominally of the decentralized stablecoins, they shrink, right? They shrink faster than uh, the, the fiat coins or, or other things because that's, that's the downside, right? The downside is that uh, you, you kind of shrink with the demand for leverage. However, the good side is there's no uh, you know, risk of the tornado cash situation or, or custodial blacklist or anything like that. Yeah, I want to slightly adjust my answer. Uh, so the one of the underrated risks of like a really high stable coin, like an external or, or just even like a concentrated stable coin supplier is that uh, they kind of have outsized power in forks uh, because then they can like help steer uh, which way the blockchain forks. They could say, oh, uh, you know, this fork, I don't know, has a, a great theft on it or has some transaction that we want to censor. And so then in some sense, giving a single stablecoin issuer too much uh, concentrated power over the chain it sort of breaks its censorship resistant properties. So having like 10 times as much stablecoin uh, TVL as like the ETH market cap would, if it followed the same power law distribution as it currently does with USDC being, you know, the highest would probably mean that ETH is like America chain. Uh, so that wouldn't probably be great. Um, the, it, I don't think it's like a security risk in the sense that like other people might get wrecked, but it like, once you give that much power to one player, then, uh, you know, it, Calls it somewhat calls into question the rest of the, <laughs> the security properties. So, um, yeah, yeah. I this is a good point because I I always thought that in in a certain sense, and um, I think I I kind of was the first person to brand myself if I had to have like a uh, a pejorative like moniker or something a stablecoin maximalist. I don't like to say I'm anything but a you know positive sum maximalist. But if there's one thing or one asset class that I totally analyze and kind of am like ideologically, uh, you know, interested in is, is stablecoin maximalism, and Amin is totally right, right? And and so uh, one thing that I think is is healthy actually for uh, on-chain stablecoin issuers like uh, Frax and Dai is that the outsized say by default goes to the token holders of, of the governance token. For example, I actually put up a proposal that uh, said that, you know, FRAX should only be redeemable on uh, proof of stake ETH uh, after the merge. This was because a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about this like proof of work fork, which I honestly think is just total nonsense. But but to, to put this market signal out there, right, uh, we, we thought that, okay, FXS token holders should vote and let's say for some reason, um, just hypothetically, let's say USDC is uh, only redeemable on proof of work chain because I don't know, like some, some weird thing happens or something, right? And then there's a lot of ETH also has a lot of value. The proof of work ETH has, has a bunch of value. 
the DAO could vote, hey, we need like representatives to actually like redeem the, the actual proof of work, uh, USDC, right? And then uh, buy back all, all the fracks one to one, right? With, with like the redemption. Uh, also sell the, you know, the, the DAO delegates or something, sell uh, all of the proof of work ETH probably on like some centralized exchange or something, right? Because the, the proof of stake chain can't interact with that. Uh, and then all of these proceeds put them back on chain on the proof of stake uh, system so that all the the frac stable coins that are, are canonically represented only on proof of stake. And so this is actually kind of interesting because uh, Amina is right. Stable coins have an outside say, but the decentralized ones at least are owned collectively by the community of token holders and Ethereum participants, right? So like MKR holders could uh, vote the same thing. Um, technically, uh, any anyone that has you know stock in Coinbase or Circle or something could could you know have some representation in the Circle process, but I don't think anyone does because that you you can't really invest in USDC or or Tether, right? You, but you can actually be a stakeholder in, in MakerDAO or, or Frax Finance, right? And so I think that's really important to have, you know, uh, a view that, yes, stablecoins do uh, have outside say for better or for worse. However, that's why uh, DAO-based ones are extremely important to balance out the kind of, you know, uh, the centralized, you know, stockholder, you know, decided uh, fork choice rules by like Tether or USDC, for example. Yeah, that's a great point. We want to have decentralized uh, stable coins so that we mitigate the outsized impact of a single concentrated stable coin issuer just being the king of the blockchain. Wouldn't be a great blockchain to be on if that was the case. <laughs> uh, this kind of, this actually sounds quite similar to nodes and node distribution of, of miners. Like you don't want to have like one node or one miner that is like most of the hash power because the, otherwise they dictate the chain basically. And this is kind of like it, instead of like the consensus level, it's at like the application stablecoin level. Like you don't want one entity with too much power. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we'll yeah. all, I, I'm sure we'll, there's like some end game roadmap for these guys too, right? Like in the future we'll have like automated fork choice rules enforced by USDC that's like broadcast like from their node to other nodes or something it'll be crazy uh that'll we'll be nuts people like rejecting forks in real time you know <laughs> good times yeah yeah but that got me thinking like with you know DAI having 82 percent of stable collateral does it really even matter what the maker MKR token holders vote on? They kind of have to de facto go to where the USDC is, right? Because that's kind of where the collateral is. No, Unless... that's that's actually not true, right? Because if you if you vote for the delegates of, like, for example, essentially uh, real world delegates that represent the the DAO, right, like maker, then they have the right to create like an SPV or something to redeem all of the fiat coins on like the other chain, right? For cash, and then bring that over to the proof of stake chain, for example, let's say if that, that's the situation, right? And so the the fiat coins have to actually honor the redemption on the chain that they say they will, right? Because that, that's obviously the, the assumption. And if the chain is different, then 
they can just have the, the DAO delegates can just redeem on the different chain and then bring it over, uh, bring the cash over, or you know, use the cash to buy ETH depending on what they want to do, right? And then bring it over and, and back uh, DAI on the, the canonical chain that they pick. Right, but then they would have to back DAI with the ETH asset. It, it won't no longer be USDC, right? Yeah, so it, it would definitely you you would still require uh, some fiat coin to to be on if if you have Dai's design and you know to be fair also Frax's design as we do have a sizable fiat uh, portion of of the backing uh, you would still need some fiat coin to pick your four choice rule so so that you or or I guess as as Amin said eventually Maker and Frax become so big that they have <laughs> direct uh, master accounts at the Fed you need something a link to the the real world uh, in the current design conception of of die and frax yes yeah sam and i had this discussion on twitter and we sort of came to the same conclusion which is like it would be awkward if there were no fiat coins available on the new chain uh because you would have to like back it with like native collateral or cash everyone out or settle you know something right uh so <clears throat> Yeah, we, that'd we be the most like negative sub. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, forks can get ugly. Uh, I think it's important that we all stick together, but we also, in order to do that, we want to do that in such a way that we preserve our credible neutrality and our, you know, censorship resistance. Um, a lot of things that, like, start, you know, a lot of things start out as crimes and then end up not as crimes later, like slavery uh or being jewish uh you know so uh it's important that we like think about that when we think about crimes uh and like protecting against people from doing them because uh like we could succeed at making the like global panopticon surveillance financial system and then be appalled at our efforts that it like perfectly identifies and constrains the actions of criminals including anyone who would think differently than our current government or something right that's not a great position to be in. <clears throat> yeah, it can really go either way um, with like, cause you're still like early. I mean, it's like terrifying to say that it could go either way, but like it depends like what like technology we, we implement, um, like whether it's like how much we like implement ZKs, how much we implement like privacy at like a node level. Um, like these are things that are being thought about and talked about. And like, I hope it gets resolved. Otherwise, like I don't want to live in a pin object that sounds awful that sounds terrible <laughs> yeah all right so let's say i wanted to take a step back and ask um i mean here if you were to be advising frax like right now during this bear market like what would you ad advise them to kind of work on or prioritize and then obviously same question to sam towards ryan i mean afterwards Mm, let me think. Uh, yeah, so one idea, maybe they already do this, and maybe, uh, you know, this ignorance. Frax is doing a lot of things, so it's hard to stay on top of all of them. Um, uh, one idea is to help mitigate, you know, USDC dependency by finding, like, market-neutral strategies that are backed by ETH. Uh, so, like hold ETH and then short ETH against ETH, like short squeeze or something against ETH. 
uh, would be an interesting like Frax AMO um, because then you could like back Frax with dollar denominated things that are not necessarily like USDCs. Cool, but wouldn't that then limit Frax's size? Because now it's again, um, it's pretty much how big ETH is, right? I wasn't saying I wasn't saying only do that. I just meant in addition to everything else they do, like offer that as an AMO. Um, you know, got it. Uh, if if Rax does that, maybe more people will build more things that you know allow things like that. And, uh, That's what UXD does, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a similar idea to UXD. <laughs> yeah, Sam, we're, we're looking into doing. Yeah, we're looking into doing things exactly like that with uh, with FraxLend, actually. So one of the first Ooh. ways that we have to uh, do that is FraxLend has to come out, which is mere days away. If you saw the the kind of governance vote to actually deploy, uh, you know, five mil of, of lending ceiling to the imminent FraxLend deployment. But exactly as Amin saying, this will actually like doing FraxLend will allow us to, you know, lend over collateralized against ETH, but then also do the reverse uh, pair where you can borrow ETH, right? And, and sell it, right? As, as the protocol in terms of like an AMO operation to basically uh, hedge, right? And create kind of this Delta neutral position and grow it. And, and it obviously has to have partial, um, it has to be partially like the size of the balance sheet because like that obviously doesn't scale everything, but it actually can limit uh, fiat coin, you know, dependence to a certain extent because you can replace as much of demand for longs with a balanced demand for shorts that, you know, the protocol itself can do. And then you don't have as much um, fiat coin exposure. And I guess in terms of, uh, I guess, advising Rye or anything, I, I really like what, what Riot is doing, and I think it's kind of a, a sister protocol to what we're doing with FPI. And um, I, I remember talking with Stefan about uh, the Riot's like uh, peg or kind of the the um, the controller that changes kind of the rates. And I said that hey, you know, it would be cool if if there was different experimentation with. Uh, different units of account and I remember Stefan said that you know they wanted to do different like rise stable coins some pegged to CPI or some pegged to something else rather than just the the pi number or, or something right and one of the main things is you know rye already has such a good brand in terms of like this new generation stable coin with you know a lot of cypherpunk uh, you know backing and, and, and desire to make this bigger it it's not like they the pi unit of a uh, account is is like you know intrinsically a priori uh you know really useful so perhaps there's potentially good things of you know trying uh a cpi unit for example and that'll unlock some really cool synergies just by you know slowly rebalancing rise unit to cpi then we could have curve pools against FPI and Rai, right? So like deep liquidity for people coming and going or like Uniswap range uh, liquidity. And so you start making that unit, the, the CPI basket, a legitimized unit, right? So one of the main things that makes a, a unit of account a shelling point is you're able to you know, use it for more efficient liquidity swaps. You're able to have people do accounting in it, right? And so, the more deep liquidity there is against it, 
the the more legitimate of a unit it is. And right now, the FTI is the only stablecoin pegged to uh, the consumer price index, so we can't literally do any you know deep liquidity. There is not another token. It's literally just us. And so it would be really cool to either have just Rye itself slowly float to uh, the the CPI basket. Uh, over you know a couple months and then pair it with curve pools and, and all this really cool stuff or just uh, release like uh, RPI I don't know like the right price index uh, you know to something like that and and just immediately have it be a PID controller to uh, basket of goods and experiment with with that peg rather than pi itself uh, that would be awesome because I think it would be a very positive something it would increase uh, yield for, for both as people are able to LP into Curve and to Uniswap and could do some crazy cool things. RPI has a nice ring to it. That's actually where I went to college, uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. <laughs> so funny reference. <laughs> yeah, I, li- I like your thinking. Uh, we, I think it, it might, we, we've talked about migrating Rye off of the dollar reference and like maybe FPI is a good candidate um, and like making other ride-like systems if we don't do that, that use the like FPI as the base reference asset for those and then like, you know, float around it using the PI controller, like seems cool. I think the coolest part is that we actually get to do stuff. Uh, like if you were 50 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and you're trying to be an economist or you have opinions about anything, like you write a paper and you beg people to read it. And like what we get to do instead is just nerd out and write code and like put money in it and see what happens. Uh, and you know, if it works, like maybe it'll be the future of finance. (laughs) So, and if it doesn't rug, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the, that's the funniest part. Dave is like everyone like idolizes Satoshi, right. For just like getting up and leaving. Right. Uh, But but, like, you know, if that happened today, right. Everyone would say, okay, he exit scammed. And then like, gave Bitcoin to the community. Gave it to the community. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's hilarious um sam i want well since we're talking about like decentralizing i want to ask you um uh there was like an issue raised on twitter kind of recently about frax's multi-sig you guys addressed it um i think you guys increased the numbers but it like got you know people thinking like how does frax plan not to decentralize governance but like also like decentralize not only the multi-sig but the multi-sig and the tech stack as well because we've had conversations about that too yeah, I mean, look, there's a, a few things that, um, like I said, there's like limiting factors to, to certain things in terms of trade-offs, right? Um, for example, Frax obviously has a multi-sig. It's actually three of five, not uh, the, 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 the whatever was said in, in like uh, the, the tweets and stuff. Uh, like you said, we, f- we fixed a lot of the legitimate uh, critiques, but obviously to like update certain contracts, uh, to um, mint Frax into selected AMO contracts and stuff. There's there's like an MSIG that changes parts of like the, the AMO ceilings and things like that pursuant to different kinds of limits of, of minting and, and burning Frax. But um, I think it's like important to, to realize there's like trade-offs here, right? And, and so like usually people uh, don't talk about the trade-offs. Like, like for example, Having an MSIG uh, allows us to actually respond, and our team is literally around the clock, and one thing I'm really proud of is 
there's always uh, some people from the frac support team, even though we're across multiple continents and stuff, always active. For example, uh, the RARI hack that we were talking about earlier, we actually managed to save a couple million dollars uh, because we were able to have, you know, that we there existed an MSIC for us to be able to actually pull out some of the lending AMO uh, funds uh, in an emergency before the hacker emptied it out. Now we lost 13 million, but it would have been close to, I believe, around 17 to 18 million that we would have lost if we weren't able to, to do something like that. Um, in the Nomad Bridge hack, which uh, unfortunately we were, you know, a little exposed to since Frax does issue. Uh, assets on Moonbeam, and so Nomad served a lot of Moonbeam uh, things. We actually were able to uh, get MSIG signers before the Nomad team itself was able to actually execute anything from their own MSIG. Like we were more responsive to that uh, there. And so again, we managed to save uh, a sizable amount of funds. Obviously, we were we were hit as well. But if if like this didn't exist. Uh, we would be at a much larger loss, right? And people would be like, why didn't Frax do anything? Why, why didn't you guys like respond? So it's, it's a trade-off between, obviously, as we were just talking about, um, you know, responsiveness and being able to actually do things in an emergency uh, versus, you know, pure uh, thematic, you know, decentralization, you know, with, with like a pure ethos. So. Um, it's, it's difficult, right? It's, it's obviously always a trade-off. Uh, on the Rye side, we just moved everything to governance. So we have a Compound Bravo deployment that we have through Tally. Um, so we, we just revoked all of the multi-sig access over the protocol. Um, I feel a little bit more comfortable doing this because we're n not exposed to like risky, you know, trading strategies uh, through AMOs like Fraxes. If I, if, if, you know, Rye was, then I think having a multi-sig uh, would be the right move. And I think Frax, Frax is making the right move in having one uh, for, for those strategies. <clears throat> um, the disadvantage of the governance now is that like, you know, somebody could either uh, tamper with the protocol or drain the protocol treasury through the governance. And so now we have to exercise constant diligence and you know, vigilance uh, to, to make sure that, you know, all the proposals are well formed and that uh, they're, you know, uh, we have enough voting power to respond. So we're setting up like notifications and stuff to track this, you know, and like some of the cases uh, with you know, these types of things are where you send some sort of proposal that has some thing like actions, uh, like contract interactions that aren't super well formed. This happened to Compound, I think twice, uh, once recently, once a while ago. Um, and like, you know, Rye isn't designed to like be able to have some sort of like fast uh, response to that, right? And so like if you don't have a multi-sig in those situations, you are kind of shit out of luck. And so you have to be extra careful when you are changing anything to make sure that it doesn't introduce any bugs or, uh, you know, uh, doesn't increase your risk like that. So um, I think I think having a set of multi-sigs that each controls, you know, certain things is like ideal in the sense, like if you have to, uh, you have some sort of like delegated guardians and they only have control over some amount of things and like everything else uh, would be controlled by the main governance because it's not really scalable to have the main governance control like each individual action for each individual, you know, 
pr protocol unless you're making very, very few decisions. <clears throat> so it sounds like you're, you're more of the boat of as Rye tend to scale larger and larger, you're a proponent of having kind of like siloed off multi six to control and just for nimbleness. Um, yeah, I mean, ideally no multi-sigs, but that's only because oh. Rye is trying to not do very much. Uh, like Rye doesn't uh, have protocol uh, treasury operations, right? We right. just distribute tokens for dev or for incentives as needed. And like the protocol updates are few and far in between. So um, like we're trying to take it in a way where we just harden it and leave it alone. And our hope, you know, our uh, bet <laughs> is that like that will appeal to some group of people that want to use uh, that kind of product. Um, Got it. But it, you know, is it because Rai is kind of like at the scale it is right now? But let's say Rai grew into like billions of dollars and across multiple chains and L2s and have like actual you know operations per, per se. Like, do you think at that point in time that you kind of need to to have multi-sig or more control over the operations of the protocol? Um, I think if Rai grew that big, it would be because we don't have access to operations of the protocol. Uh, I think that there is some market for that, for decentralization, for untamperability, and like that's the bet we're making with Rai. Now, other things, you know, as soon as you have open market operations, like the story gets more complicated. So, uh, you know, it, it might also be the case that Rye stays small because uh, we don't do these kinds of open market operations. And so people have to find their own liquidity uh, and things like that. Uh, these are the trades. That's actually, that's actually a very uh, brilliant answer because like well, one of the things is like, it's, it's like you are really good at what you do and, and there's a really unique use case that only, for example, your protocol or, or like your stable coin is able to address. So like that's a very good answer because, for example, let's say Rye did have an MSIG or something, right? Then uh, unless it is also as extremely responsive around the clock, it is as, uh, you know, the uh, permeant in terms of like the team's uh, responsiveness on all these other chains and all these things and etc. It would just basically be a worse version of Frax, right? It would have the MSIC trust assumption, and but it would not actually be able to respond. Versus now, uh, we can never uh, ha have the exact uh, utility that Rai is. We there is an MSIC, right? And, and so, like for example, uh, Rai has a very unique value proposition, right? And like I mean, said, if Rye gets big, it is because of that, not in spite of that. So I, I find that pretty, uh, pretty important distinction. Agreed. Makes I was sense. very, you know, surprised by that answer. I mean, uh, but I, I, here's my last serious question for the both of you. Uh, let's start with Amin. What does success look like for Rye, in your opinion? Like, what do you want to see out of this project that that you've built and created? Um. That's a great question. I posted a tweet about this. I said Rai has accomplished 25% of its mission or something. I just made, I made it up, picked a number, right? Uh, the first part of that is that like we have uh, driven the conversation around like, mm, you know, unpegged assets, like in general. 
like if Rye didn't exist, then people would be like, I don't know, negative rates, right? So the fact that like Rye is in all these conversations today with, you know, Dai deciding to depeg and uh, whatnot, like that's a big part of the mission for me uh, in terms of driving its success because Rye will only be successful in a world where more people understand that this is like a good thing, you know, or, or at least not like a crazy trade-off, right? Um, and then uh, the other thing is that it is serving, you know, the, the people who care about decentralization, right? Like we are proving that you can have stability backed by Ether uh, and that's pretty cool too. Uh, and that you don't necessarily only need the, the dollar peg to do stability. Um, so I, I think success looks like growth, obviously. I think ETH has to go up, the Rye number would go up, but it also looks like inspiring more Rye-like projects and other projects to take seriously, uh, you know, floating away from a fixed peg with the USD. And like success might also look like integrating with the FPI one day. <laughs> so, I'd love to see that. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Sam. How about you? What does success look like for Frax? Yeah, um, well, I think the way that I kind of look at it is Frax is kind of building this uh, Trinity stack, which I, th I don't think we really got into on this one because it's kind of uh, its own entire podcast, <laughs> but it's basically a digital economy. And, you know, there's lending, leverage, and all powered by uh, the two stable coins of, of the protocol, right? Frax and FPI. FPI, like, uh, it means that is like this new generation of stable coins that's kind of uh, together with Rai leading the conversation of like assets that don't have a national currency peg, right? And I think that they'll be one of the most important asset classes in crypto in the next six to 18 months. Uh, so success for us would be continuing to build this all-encompassing uh, decentralized DeFi stack that is powered by an ever-growing, larger and more relevant uh, two stablecoins, Frax and FPI. And so, like in in a, in a year, for example, um, success would look like you know Frax having tens of billions of, of supply and FPI, you know, hopefully growing 20, 30x then, and then uh, something like Frax Lend, uh, Frax Swap, and our our Trinity stack being a core pillar of, of the digital economy on, on Ethereum. Yeah, it, this question's kind of funny because I'm thinking about like what I would have said if you'd asked me this same question about DAOs like four years ago when I was working on Moloch DAO. You know, like what does success look like for you for Moloch DAO, right? And I would be like, curing Ethereum's PTS DAOs, like there will be a thousand DAOs. You know, like I, I would have sounded like an insane person uh, because there were like three DAOs at the time, right? I had to, we had to like build our own by hand, right? Uh, and so, but like it worked, right? Like the crazy thing is that people responded, they got it, they coordinated, you know? And like today I feel a similar passion uh, for decentralized stable coins for like a non-dollar peg, non-fiat uh, denominated uh, stable coins, things like FPI and Rai, you know, maybe there's like 10 of us who care, uh, but that's fine because I feel like, you know, in a couple of years, like everything will work like this or, it, you know, there will be a thousand of these or <laughs> like every, like, 
it'll just be way more obvious that this is a viable thing and like people should do it uh, and and use these. It'll be as obvious as like starting a DAO is today, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And each of you guys are carving your own way and leading the path in your respective stablecoin experiments. You know, I mean, with you know, completely decentralized. Uh, I, I like to say de decentralized moralist is your position, and you're carving the way forward with that. And there will be further experiments with that, whether it's like to FP, you know, the price target, whether it's like, or price, yeah, to inside the dollar to like mm -hmm. this consumer price index, or maybe something else, maybe like a custom basket of you know variables. And Sam, you're carving the way for the fractionally algorithmic stablecoin path and like you're going to see other experiments i'm sure along that you know and as they say forking is the finest form of flattery so <laughs> it'll be exciting to see what happens in the future thanks yeah, yeah. thanks for having us by the way yeah of yeah. course yeah we're gonna, we're gonna wrap up we have like a few more like quick trivia questions kit you want to get that going yeah sure um the first question is what are the top five most decentralized projects in DeFi? Let's start uh, with uh, Rai, uh, Sam here. LUSD. Yeah, definitely Rai, LUSD. Uh, I guess Uniswap. Um, I would obviously. say Uniswap, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, I think, what is it, two more I have to give? Um, I think uh, Wire, right? I, I think that that's pretty distributed in every sense. Um, I would say Sushi uh, as well. Um, they've kind of fallen off, but technically it is distributed and decentralized. So that, that would be my top five. Yeah, I'm trying to think like who... Or wait, Curve, Curve, Curve. I totally forgot. Curve is pretty, pretty decentralized. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I have those. I'd probably give a similar list, honestly. I'm looking at the DeFi Pulse list and it's like Maker, Ave, Curve, Convex, uh, you know, LUSD. Uh, balancer dydx sushi um so like yeah uniswap would be the top liquidity up there rye up there um and then curve sushi yeah those those are all close <clears throat> maybe doge chain <laughs> yeah <laughs> Syn nice. Did you want to ask the second one I don't know. Uh, you got this one. Okay. Um, so the second question is, who is the DeFi mafia in your opinion? And this is alluding to like, you know, the PayPal mafia of Peter Thiel and, and uh, Elon Musk and that group. Let's start with a mean on this one. Um, I would think it's like probably the Unisox holders. Uh, <laughs> like I think Maker Mafia was like the first DeFi mafia. Then like maybe Compound Mafia, Uniswap Mafia. I suppose there's a whole DeFi Mafia diaspora on every other chain that had DeFi summers. <laughs> <laughs> maybe there's some <laughs> Mafia Wars that need to sort things out, or maybe that's just what we're watching on the cross-chain price charts. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, um, I I think obviously the, the OG stuff, like I think maker and, and uniswap obviously i don't want to toot my own horn but i i think hopefully in the next one to two years because frax is doing so much stuff we'll have uh, a group of 
you know, Frax Mafia alumni kind of building around the Frax economy. Uh, but it's still pretty young. Um, but hopefully uh, we're, we're going to be, you know, creating that kind of uh, atmosphere of high impact uh, people. I think a lot of the blue chips, right, the blue chip uh, protocols like Maker, Uniswap, Curve, these, they've produced a, a healthy amount of people that have been high impact, which is how I kind of define PayPal Mafia, right? Because they're like the original Silicon Valley, you know, group of people that created PayPal, then went off and continued to create extremely high impact, important um, things in the space in, in their own era. It was pretty, it was pretty fun to be an early LP to Uniswap, uh, you know, uh, I was running Spank Chain and trying to figure out where to provide liquidity and my options were like provide, you know, make a deal with an exchange and like hire a shady market maker and like, you know, hope they don't screw me over uh, or like run the bot myself and like, you know, pay some DevOps person to like secure it and make sure the algo doesn't do anything dumb. Right. Like, you know, then you read the Uniswap code and you're like oh my god it just works this program forever i get tokens i can put them in my multi-sig and secure them with the rest of my stuff like also it's composable this you're just like this is the future of everything like this is how this is going to work so you know we were extremely uh blessed to be early lps in uniswap and uh you know one of the largest recipients in the uni airdrop <laughs> uh so i bought a house and decorated it with unicorns as you can see so uh, shout, shout out to the uni mafia <laughs> <laughs> look at that chair the pink I, chair i like to think that uh we we've done obviously something not of that scale but maybe smaller scale for early cracks uh and fxs lps because we had these like 3x locks that you could you know lock for a year or two years or something and get like double or triple apy and so some of the earliest People, I, I know Dave, you found Frax extremely early, but they've they've made uh, they've made quite uh, the the run up. Um, so that's where hopefully a lot of people were, were made. Yeah, I don't want to toot like our own horn, but Everpedia Mafia in a sense, <laughs> like you with Frax, Frax, me with Flywheel Pod, you know, and everyone else out there. Yeah, it's cool having you guys build Ethereum stuff now. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i agree it feels good to be over here positive sum okay positive, positive sum. Sum. <laughs> positive sum. and then uh let's let, let's end here with a couple of uh lightning round questions um let's start with sam on this one uh when did you first touch the chain what was your virgin crypto experience and sexes don't count <laughs> I would say uh, probably sometime in late 2013 with like Bitcoin. Yeah, uh, there was the Silk Road mushrooms uh, in 2012 and then more Mt. Goxing. I set up like a Bitcoin arbitrage bot. Uh, that was like the first Bitcoin thing I did. So. <clears throat> Got it. Okay. Um, and what do you like to do? Off chain, meaning, what is your favorite touch grass activity? Uh, for me, uh, lifting for sure, power lifting, uh, getting a heavy lift in it's when doing it nonstop for uh, almost 10 years now. Yeah, Damn. That's, <clears throat> that's impressive. Um, I can kick a bag and play some Beat Saber. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, I'm a fan yeah. of the Beat Saber. Uh, <laughs> what is a Beat Saber? Is that like a beat like kind of is it, the music? It's like a guitar VR has set as a yeah. Jedi yeah. and then you Oh, that VR. thing. And so you actually oh, that get a thing. Yeah. pretty serious cardio workout if you go in. Oh, good. I, I got the yeah. quest too, like two weeks ago, and I've been playing every day. I downloaded the mod to get yeah. like the songs, and you can get, you know, K pop songs at the very high BPM situation. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Um, what is some advice you'd give to yourself five years ago, to your five year old younger self? Uh, don't let bear markets and cycles uh, in crypto discourage you. It almost feels like everyone uh, goes through crypto puberty, which is like their first thing is they get into crypto on like an up cycle and they're like, wow, this is the, the, the next biggest thing in the entire world. And then the down cycle, it's like everyone has to like go through their puberty phase of like, nope, that was a scam. Like I lost all my money. Like this, this was all bullshit. <laughs> and then they, they like miss the cool stuff happening in the bear market, right? Like the real tech and stuff and then the next uh upswing they're like shit i should have just i i, I should have just st stuck with it so i tell anyone if this is your first cycle or something stick with it i i saw my first cycle from 1300 btc down to like i think like 190 or whatever that was and then the you know then the ico cycle right everyone thought crypto was a scam after like you know like denta coin or doctor coin or whatever coin right like pothole coin yeah, like like pot coin and stuff, but uh, stick with it. That's the advice I'd give anyone uh, getting into it. Yeah, uh, I think uh, run your crazy experiments is like good advice. Uh, I think I took that advice five years ago. Um, but <laughs> yeah, uh, like some of the most rewarding stuff that I've done, both financially and otherwise, has been like stuff that I've done for passion and curiosity or even like spite uh wasn't even like financially motivated and they so it's a little hard for me to give advice uh because of of that outcome <laughs> so uh yeah uh follow your passions run the run the experiments you want to and see what happens and uh final question for me uh let's start with a need here if you work in crypto what would you be doing professionally Um, man, I would probably be doing some sort of software engineering, maybe an AI or I don't know, uh, nanotech stuff is cool. Uh, biotech stuff is cool. I studied chemical engineering, uh, got my degree in that. So, um, you know, interested in so like the physical sciences as well. So, yeah, um, I was a neuro and philosophy double major. I'd probably be doing something similar to elon musk's Neuralink. i always was really interested in brain computer interfaces uh the leading edge of that stuff um i worked in uh labs at ucla that did like live play cell and neuronal cell hippocampal recordings in like live animals and rodents and things like that so uh thinking about the future of that with like real people with brain computer interfaces uh that's probably what i would uh be doing something similar to Neuralink. Well, that is like so out of there compared to stable coins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stable, stable coins are like a religious thing for me. Uh, it's like, you know, we, we've had this money and it like 
nobody has ever really made it right. Uh, like every time somebody's made fiat, it like ends up as a scam. It like starts out on a spectrum of useful and then like ends up a scam, right, on a long enough timeline. So it's like, you know, is there some way to like program rules to make people coordinate around this stuff at large scale, like make the rules transparent? This has been a stated goal of banks for a long time. So like stable coins have a lot of, uh, you know, just important cause to uh, exist and and like could have a long large impact um and so i'd probably be working on other things that gave me the same sense uh that they were somehow you know useful um and so like yeah like the 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 news came out about like the little machines with nanotech that like you could actually like use dna like to run a gear and then like have some leverage using it it's like pretty funny so (laughs) i think those things are cool yeah well, yeah, money is religion. That's why the dollar's backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. So, and yeah. that's why I call myself a missionary of Frax in my in my bio. <laughs> I love it. So, like, I I do view it in in the same manner. Um, it's like money encapsulates everything that we do, especially as All a right. frame of reference. I'll be a prophet. Fuck it. Yeah, do it. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need you to carry the decentral mantle for the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> Well, anyways, this has been fun, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on, guys. This was a lot of fun and, you know, excited to see where your experiments go in the future. And I'm sure we'll have you on again at some point to uh, check on your progress. Yeah, it was great chatting. Cool. Thanks, Thanks, guys. guys. Peace. All right. Ciao. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to that episode of Flywheel Pod. We had a lot of great discussion about stablecoins, about governance, about decentralization, about scalability, about pegging. Kit, what did you think? The whole time I was thinking, where can I get that pink chair that Amin has? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you go get a time machine to 2019 and you LP into Uniswap. And that's how you get the chair. That's how you exactly get it. Exactly right. Exactly. But uh, all jokes aside, I, I love... Um, the part where they were advising each other. I think that was probably my favorite part, how mm-hmm. Amin was telling Frax to, you know, decentralize more and how Frax was saying Rai should find more uh, utility out, out of their token. I thought that was a really good piece. Yeah. Yeah, I concur with that. Um, I, and I also think in like a historical context and how this episode is viewed, you know, compa- you know, relative to how, you know, both projects move forward, I think it's like a really good, you know, checkpoint and seeing like, okay, like these were like their stated goals. This is how they imagine like, what does success look like to you? And like, see like how close they like follow that path or deviate from that path. I think my f- favorite thing was comparing stable, like the arc of and lore of stable coins to the arc mm-hmm. and lore of DAOs. And Amin was there for both. I mean, you know, founder of Moloch DAO, you know, you know, when they had PTS DAO and like how DAOs like came back stronger than ever. And then he said, like, I believe stablecoins can do that too. And I believe the same thing. I think stablecoins can like, as like as much of a disaster as like some experiments have been, I think like the reflexivity of it can come back like 10,000% of a vengeance. Agreed. Agreed, man. This is a great yeah. pod. And I hope the audience got away as much as we did. Yeah, same. And I think they did. And I think they'll be coming back for more. I hope you do. And if you want to, don't forget to hit that bell notification so you keep on getting those steady stream of content from Flywheel Pod. Don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube. 
Follow us on Twitter at FlywheelPod. Join our Telegram group at FlywheelPod. If you want to keep up with me, I'm on Twitter at DeFiDave22. Keep up with me at 0xCapital underscore K. And we'll see you next time. Peace.